The Emotionally Uncomfortable Podcast is going live. Yes, you heard that correct. You can come ask your questions and get free live coaching. I'm going to be talking about all things attracting profit and parenting, which if you've been around for a while, profit equals time flexibility, emotional freedom, and all things money and wealth building. And of course, parenting. Come ask about why your kids do what they do, how to motivate your teens, and how you can become the adults they need. And the cool side effect is you can apply these principles to other relationships in your life, like your marriage, team building, and even your own parents. Head on over to heatherchauvin.com forward slash live to check out the next live podcast recording dates and topics. That's heatherchauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash live, L-I-V-E. See you there. All right. I know I have been having amazing conversations with women and the whole intention is for you to, my hope is for you is to plant a seed with you and maybe give you a resource or a connection and you start going to follow somebody and you go down the rabbit hole and finally you don't feel alone. Um, But there's something that I notice in all of these women that I am interviewing. They are all parents of neurodivergent children. These aren't experts. Most, some have written books and created podcasts and, but we're all mothers who have, um, we've just been scared. Uh, we've been scared and we have gone to the doctors. We've done all the things and, this is why I think women are so freaking powerful because we look at the problem with children and we solve the problems. And so you may feel lost and alone, but please understand there's an army of women behind you and men, caregivers, humans who are trying to rapidly solve these problems. And it might be from a science perspective. It may be from a educational perspective, but you are also part of this army. So my goal is to empower you to be able to not only empower your children, but empower yourself and empower other people so that one day maybe you are on a podcast or you're hosting your own podcast or you are giving back and giving resources to community. So never underestimate the power of your story. And that's exactly what all these women have done here. So your story matters. You may feel lost now, but please understand your story matters. So let's dive into Penny Williams. She is... Um, to me, I would say somebody who is one of those, like, she'd be the first place I would go to after a diagnosis. Um, I want you to check out her podcast, Parenting ADHD and A-N-D autism.com. Parenting ADHD and autism.com. She's a wealth of knowledge and resources. Um, go check her out. She also has a podcast and all her resources are on her website. Hello, Penny. Welcome. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Yes. I always love connecting with you. Um, Oh, look, I'm frozen. So let's just see what happens. 
There we go. I was frozen <laughs> for a second. If that happens again, just keep talking. Um, all right. So one, I want to talk about challenging behavior. Mm-hmm. And two, I know you have your own podcast that is really geared towards parents raising neurodiverse children. And I personally believe that behavior is behavior is behavior. And some behaviors are way bigger than other behaviors. But I'm curious your perspective before we even dive into more of like the how-to or the biology of behavior, um, being a parent of neurodiverse children. Yeah, it's so much to navigate, right? And for me, the biggest challenge starting out was that no one told me what to do. (laughs) They said, here you go. Here's a diagnosis. The first one was ADHD. Here's a prescription. We'll see you in three months. Mm. Like, but how do I help him? Right. Like there was a reason we came in here. And I don't feel like it was very helpful. Yes, I got information. Yes, it helped me to understand maybe some of the why of the struggle, but it did not even tell me that I'm the one who needs to change and not my kid. And that was where I needed to start, but it took me about three years to figure that out. And so it's really tough when you have a kid who has sort of what I call invisible diagnoses, right? They look like behavior on the surface. They look like laziness or lack of motivation or a kid who doesn't care. Um, And there just at that time was not enough conversation about how to parent this kid and help them succeed in a neurotypical world. So I'm always a little triggered because the parenting space is all about how we as the parent need to change. Right. And I understand Mm -hmm. that from an outsider neutral place where it's like, Oh, I need to change my energy. I need to change my words. I'm going to change how I cope with this, how I approach this situation. But my child is still struggling, right? Like, so how do you sit with that duality of like, I know that I need to change, but my primal instincts are kicking in of really wanting to support my children. So can we talk a little bit about um, the biology of behavior in itself and then like the big challenging behaviors, because there is a huge difference between um, typical and non-typical behaviors. Do you notice that like, and would you categorize it when I say neurodiverse or do you say something else when these behaviors are just amplified. Does that make sense? Or yeah, they I think, you know, there's always a reason if behavior is amplified. There's always a reason if a child has bigger behaviors, bigger emotions, um, and the child can just be extra sensitive. Mm-hmm. And talking about the biology of behavior is how we understand this. We all are wired to respond in kind. So if my child yells at me, my body instinctually wants to yell back. It's a protective measure, right? If somebody comes at me with fists, my instinct is to put up some fists and try to protect myself. And when you're a parent, you have to override that reactivity and respond in a way that is helpful. When we respond reactively, instinctually like that, 
we're doing what I call co-escalating. <laughs> we are adding fuel to that poor child's fire that's already raging, right? And we have to stay calm as much as we can. We have to be the calm anchor. We have to put that energy out because they are also wired to respond in kind, right? And so it's a matter of really being the presence that you want your kid to be in that moment. Yes, it's hard. It takes a lot of practice, a lot of consistency. You will make mistakes, right? Um, I, you know, every time I talk about this, parents say, well, you know, I can't just stop doing it. Or, you know, it's been a week since you told me and I really tried, but I can't. We're talking about years of practice, right? Years of really focusing inward on how we're going to respond. And so uh, a lot of our neurodivergent kids have an extra sensitive nervous system. Their autonomic nervous system, which is kind of the warning signal of our body, it's the warning beacon, and it gets triggered automatically and it creates behavior automatically. And so a lot of the behavior that we see from our kids, it's really challenging has come from an alert, a signal of emergency from their body, whether or not it's valid, because a lot of our kids have a more sensitive nervous system. Um, and then you tack on to that the fact that a lot of our kids really struggle with emotion, emotional regulation, self-regulation, um, emotional communication, and you're kind of just mixing up this perfect storm of behavior, right? And so our first step as a parent is to stay calm. If you can't stay calm, kindly excuse yourself, right? Don't just walk away, but say, I really want to help you right now, but I'm getting really worked up too. And I know we can't resolve problems when we're worked up like this. So I'm going to step away and I'm going to work on calming down. And I'm going to come back to you, right? So they don't feel rejected or abandoned. And then, you know, helping your kid to also come to that space. Now, I'm not saying that my child's going to be raging and screaming expletives or yelling about how much he hates me or hates the world. And I'm going to come in and take a calm breath and he's just magically going to wash out, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just helping the situation rather than making it worse. Does that make sense? To me, yes. <laughs> to me now, it does. Yeah. When I look back on my parenting journey, so I started getting into like emotional intelligence and that whole world, conscious parenting, um, 18 years ago. And neurodivergence was not a thing back then. Like it, mm -hmm. there's, there was labels and diagnosis, but it wasn't a common thing that you heard about or talked about. Yep. But I remember, I don't know why, and maybe because I was that sensitive child. Um, so I always had that sense of feeling different than other people. Um, as I guess we all have a complex that we feel like a snowflake mm -hmm. in some capacity, but I remember think like just seeing this path of like, I need to know the answer. I need a label, like whatever part of our brain that needs to categorize someone, mm 
Mm-hmm. But I didn't do that with my kids. I could really see that behavior was a language. Yep. And I think because I could empathize as that angry, sad, sensitive child or whatever it was, I was like, I just needed a parent who could co-regulate with me, who was like, what's really going on? Mm-hmm. So how do you get a parent or caregiver to get to that place where it's like, we can still do the things. You can still go to the appointments. You can still get the testing. You can do the diagnosis. You can have prescriptions, whatever it is, do that. But there's this whole other world that is required regardless of how your child's brain works Mm -hmm. to create this connection with them as a, as a child, as a human being. Um, How do we jump from to there? Does that make sense? It does. And it's a lot of work on yourself, Mm -hmm. honestly, is as I said in the beginning, this is really about 90% us and the way we act and interact and react and understand. And what you're talking about with being able to connect really well with our kids, to be able to sort of let go of some of the friction and turmoil and, you know, things aren't quite right is really about ourselves and our own mindset (laughs) and doing the work that we need to do to not just focus on the negative, the hard stuff. And it was a journey that I had to take. And it was probably three or four, maybe five years after my son's diagnosis. And I really had to take a really deep look at how I was feeling and why. (laughs) And I was feeling very negative. I was feeling, why is this my kid? Why did this happen to my kid? Why do things have to be so hard? Why can't teachers this, right? And it was always like, I was looking for some sort of reason almost that I was never going to find was never going to get the answer to that. There's no answer to that. And it was dragging me down. It was really heavy, but it was also dragging down everyone around me. I was always talking about ADHD. I was always reading about it. I didn't do anything else besides the work I had to do for work, which was different at that time. And then, you know, obsessively trying to figure out how to help my kid. It was so heavy and I was so tired. And I thought, you know, I don't think, because all my life I thought happy people had something that maybe I didn't, right? They had more money, they had more opportunity, they were thinner or more beautiful, whatever. They had things I didn't have and that's why they were happy and I wasn't. And I had to finally, and I was like 40, 41, 42, I finally had to have this realization, this revelation that I was actually in control of that. I could do something about it. And where I started with that, I just started like looking at podcasts on happiness, honestly, and and that devolved into other things. And um, I eventually learned about the victim mindset versus the survivor mindset. And I was like, Ooh, I've been living for a while in that victim pool over there. And I don't want to be that. It's not fun. I don't like it. And I had to do the work and it took me a lot of practice. 
a lot of practice, a lot of self-reminders, right? The other big turning point for me with that too in relation to my kid was the mantra, he's not giving me a hard time, he's having a hard time. If I could walk into a situation every time and say that to myself first, it got me in the right mindset to handle it in a way that was actually helpful to him and to myself. I love that because you are removing yourself from the situation and you can observe your child with like a compassionate lens or just like a, like as if it was somebody else's child, right? And you're like, oh, what's going on over there? Um, I've taken it. I put the twist on how do I want to feel? And Mm -hmm. so I'm about to approach this child. I'm going to open my mouth. How do I want to feel? And it's usually connected, right? We don't want to feel angry and resentful. So how can I approach this situation in a connected way? Um, And it's been fascinating to watch because I would say I haven't yelled in... Okay, that's a lie. I'm sure I've yelled. (laughs) But in the last 10 years, I have not... Like yelling is not a thing. And if it happens, my kids are like, are you okay? And my husband's usually like, you, you, you've been pushing yourself too hard. Mm-hmm. Like there's something there that's out of alignment. That is not the comfort zone anymore. Or that's not the norm in the house. Um, so, okay. We're doing this work, right? People listening to this episode are probably they're like actively just like you, your former self trying to like solve these problems, like obsessively, like I want to get there. So let's talk about the people that are not doing this work. Let's talk about the teachers. Let's talk about the caregivers. Let's talk about the people, the quote unquote people in our village or our community that are supporting our children. I know that my boys are, regardless of how their brain is wired, I'm looking at my youngest and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I hope the world does not mess him up. This You say boo the wrong way and he starts to cry and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's okay, buddy. But I'm like, I know that about him. The world does not know that. And I've already seen it in the school system of like, he's this, he's this, he's this. How do you cope with that? How do we approach those situations? Yeah, you have so much less control in those situations, right? And that's the hardest part for parents. It was definitely something that I had to deal with. I have a lot of anxiety in general myself. And so, you know, I'm coming into these meetings super anxious and having zero control, like knowing that I really have no control over what's going to happen. And that is a really hard spot for a parent to be in when you really care so much about your kid and you just want them to have opportunities for successes. Um, I think that, you know, there was definitely some work that I had to do on kind of like good enough, accepting good enough. I I'm a perfectionist. I never let go of anything, right? And I was raised to think that smart kids do well in school. And then I had a brilliant kid who cannot hardly make it through school, right? He did, but you know, I was basically going to school with him to get him through it. And it was just a lot of like, okay, it's never going to be perfect. He's never going to be a straight A kid, and that's okay. It doesn't matter. He'll use, you know, his interests and his talents and what he's good at, his intelligence in whatever way works for him. 
right? So throwing out all of those societal norms is a big piece of that in dealing with the rest of the world saying, okay, well, their expectations for someone neurotypical, my kid isn't neurotypical. My kid can't perform in that way in this environment. Um, thinking mostly about school, but often even sports, you know, I, my, we tried all the sports and they were all a nightmare, right? (laughs) He was the one that all the parents were talking about during, you know, practices and games every time it never failed because he was so active, but I just had to quit taking things personally, first Mm -hmm. of all. And that went for, interactions with my kid, interactions with everybody else. I like to think of all the other adults in my kids' lives as caring adults because I think, you know, that they are. Teachers are teachers because they like kids. They want to, you know, be around kids. They want to nurture kids. Our kids sometimes make that feel more difficult. And it's just because we're trying to make them fit in that square box that they just don't fit in because they learn differently or they move through the world differently. They wait for their turn up to bat by swinging from the top of the dugout instead of sitting really still and quietly on the bench, right? They just do it differently. And the world has to catch up to that, right? I mean, we can't control it. So there's a lot that's outside of our control, but that's the big the big sort of transition, I think, for us as a parent is recognizing we cannot control it. We can put all of our energy into trying to, mm-hmm. but we're never going to succeed with that. You know, I had to think a lot about where do I want to spend my energy? And I actually, and I have a lot of parents that I work with do this as well. I think it's in every one of my courses it's the locus of control worksheet, which is basically a circle with all the things that you want to influence and a circle within that of all the things that you actually could influence. So you actually can have some control over and just writing it down and seeing it on paper really helps with that mindset shift. And it's not to say that we're like, okay, we can't control school. So whatever happens to my kid at school happens. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, try to figure out where your energy is best spent, where you can actually make progress and accept what's good enough. You know, I had to accept that my kid could make B's and C's and sometimes a D and his life was not ruined by that, right? He was going to be okay. And again, that's work inside myself, right? To say, it's okay. We're okay with that. And sometimes I don't like in my experience, having to overcompensate for that, meaning like, well, the teacher said this or so-and-so saying this. And I was like, I still love you. That I think you're great. Like, that's awesome. It's like, oh gosh, now I need to help this kid unlearn that, you know, mm-hmm. the a plus or D plus or D or whatever the hell it is, is not, um, has no reflection. Like you can see where we grab onto these things mm-hmm. of who they are, their value in the world. Um, I have a theory, either a child is going to struggle academically or after school, if they do great in school, they're going to struggle out in the real world. Mm-hmm. So it's like pick and choose your battles. So if yeah. I'm raising a child that it's just, it's been horrendous going through the educational system. I'm like, if you can 
harness this a little bit, you're going to thrive as an adult, right? And then versus the other side, because I work with a lot of women as well, and not just in parenting, but they're trying to unlearn the people pleaser. They're like, I was the A plus student. I did great academically. And now I'm over here miserable, middle-aged, because I've been a raging people pleaser, getting checking the boxes, doing A plus yep. my whole life. And now I'm like, what is going on over here? And I have to learn this whole new set of skills. So we have to realize that these big behaviors, these challenges are going to happen regardless. Um, I also think there's a little false fallacy of, you know, when you're mentally like, oh, right now we're recording this, it's in summer. So people don't maybe don't have the childcare that they would or the support. And they're like, oh, when school starts, when school starts. I'm like, when fucking mm-hmm. school starts, you have a whole other can of worms or of challenges that are going to end up on your doorstep. So we think it's time and energy that we need or want or like alone time. But kind of what you were alluding to earlier is like, where are you focusing your time and energy? Is it on fixing and solving and diagnosis? Or is it on being present and doing the inner work and also trying to support your children and advocate and do all the same things? The challenges are still there. It's just how you really show up for them. A quick word about today's sponsor, AG1. It's important to me that the supplements I take are of the highest quality, and that's why for years I've been drinking AG1. Unlike many supplement brands, AG1 is constantly searching for how to do things better. At 52 iterations of their formula and quality for AG1 isn't just a buzzword, it's a commitment backed by expert-led scientific research, high-quality ingredients, industry-leading manufacturing, and rigorous testing. At each step of the process, AG1 goes above and beyond industry standards. I know I can trust what's in every scoop, because it's tested for over 950 contaminants and banned substances, while most of industry standards typically only test for 10. Isn't that crazy? And bonus, my kids love it, especially my teens. Trust AG1 for consistent daily support. Take control of your well-being with AG1. Experience it now and enjoy a complimentary one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 along with five free travel packs with your initial purchase at drinkag1.com forward slash EU. That's drinkag1.com forward slash EU. Yeah. But I'll say how you show up changes the challenges. Mm. They are less frequent. They are less intense. Your kid learns that, yes, you're on their side. Yes, you do actually want to help. You're not just the authoritarian, right? And when you change that dynamic in the family and between you and your child, you are changing future behavior in a positive way. Um, it's not to say it's going to go away. <laughs> it's just to say it gets better. And, and I can tell you, you know, I really have been doing this like deep internal work for myself 
for probably 10 years, eight or 10 years now. And I can't remember the last time I yelled. Now my kids are also out of school. We don't have any of those extra pressures mm-hmm. at, like we used to, but I just have trained myself to not be reactive. It is totally possible. Um, it just takes time and frequency and consistency and not doubting yourself. Um, you know, I see parents post like in our Facebook group and say, you know, my kid makes me yell at him. <laughs> I'm like, nope, he doesn't. You're able to not yell even when he's acting like that or she's acting like that. It is possible. Um, it doesn't feel that way at first, right? And I, that's, I think the crux of what we're talking about here is separating our own feelings and emotions about what's happening from the actual situation. And there's a whole nother process to addressing challenging behavior in ways that are actually helpful that we haven't even discussed yet, which is looking at triggers and unmet needs and you know underlying challenges. I always start with the nervous system because that is something that when you understand it, you really understand behavior in a different way. And it really shifts your mindset, just knowing that the nervous system is triggered and it's sending up signals and your kid isn't really, you know, choosing in those moments how to act. So often their behavior is unintentional. It's not intentional to harm you. They're having a hard time, right? It's just like sitting with these things that really help you to be in that different headspace is so, so powerful. Yeah. And oftentimes they feel shame around their behavior Mm -hmm. as well, like after the scenario. And yeah, it's we cannot teach what we don't know ourselves. And I see that all the time when I, even in my own trigger, like if I'm afraid of something, like something happens in my kids' lives and I'm like, I'm triggered by it. It's usually, I'm not talking about emotional trigger and a wound, but like my child experienced something and they're like, I need help with this. I'm like, I don't know how to help you because I haven't solved that problem yet for myself. So if your Mm -hmm. anger scares me, it's because I don't even know how to control my anger or I'm triggered by your anger because of something else that's happened in my life. There's so much that goes on there. So Penny, I know, um, again, short conversation. We're just giving them like, you have so much value in your community. So where can people Mm -hmm. get more of you? Podcast, community, what do you have going on? Yeah, so the the podcast is called Beautifully Complex, and we talk all things neurodivergence, parenting, educating, just really creating um, environments where neurodiverse kids can thrive. And then you can find that as well as everything else that I'm doing, um, coaching, online, on-demand training. We have a membership. It's all at parentingadhdandautism.com. Everything is linked up there. We do have a program specifically on behavior. Um, that teaches you about the nervous system, teaches the whole other process. Um, we call it the path to regulation of really drilling down and seeing what behavior is communicating to us so that we know how to address it in a way that's actually helpful and not harmful, honestly. 
I always um, refer people to you when they've gotten oh, a new you. diagnosis because they're like, now what? Like, now what do I do? And I'm like, you need Penny's information um, because I'm assuming you created what you wish you had. Um, exactly. Yeah. And that's the magic of this because I, I know parents always want the, the best for their children and we wildly underestimate because nobody tells us that I always say parenting is personal growth on steroids. We think, oh, I just need mm-hmm. to do this. I need to feed them. I need to keep them alive. But we don't realize the transformation within us that is required to um, to guide these unique little souls and beings in the world. So, Penny, so thank well you said. for being you. Thank you. I got gotcha. you. Okay. There you have it. I hope you learned something today. And my intention and goal for you is never to feel like you are failing. So if any shame was triggered, any like, oh crap, it's all about me. I'm just telling you, we're going to screw up our kids in some capacity. I think it's just inevitable. It doesn't matter if you're trying to be perfect, like perfect. I don't know where that accent came out of my mouth, but perfect. Um, like all of our stuff goes back to our experience as a child. As long as you're doing the best, you are good enough. Yes, there's always room for improvement. Yes, you're, the way that you parented your kids when they were smaller um, may have left an imprint on them. But I look at my boys and I think, at the end of the day, I just want you to feel loved and safe. Loved and safe. And maybe you didn't feel loved or maybe you didn't feel safe before, but all I have control over is my behavior from today forward. So I hope Penny was a magical um, resource for you. And if you want to dive into her community, her podcast, go check out the resources that she stated. If you want more in-depth support and you want you know, someone to like hold your hand while you're doing this stuff um, and you're ready for like the one-on-one coaching, um, diving deeper into emotional intelligence and all the things, you may be interested in uh, checking out our mastery coaching program. So if that is something that interests you, get on the wait list for that. I really work with professional women raising children who want to feel successful both at home and in their work. So I'm not just primarily focused on child's behavior itself, but helping you emotionally regulate and step up and into your next level vision in all areas of your life. So check out heatherchauvin.com forward slash mastery. I sometimes joke that I wish I taught people how to make green smoothies for a living. But I know I'm doing that because I'm trying to run away from what brings me joy. And what brings me joy is helping women and men, families in general, and children feel alive. And sometimes that journey to feeling alive is painful. It's emotionally uncomfortable, and it's not always easy. This is why I created the Aligned Life Quiz. So if you're tired of being tired, you want to stop just surviving, and you want to find out exactly where to focus and access realistic tools to confidently manage your energy, emotions, and impact, you can head on over to Heather 
Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash life quiz. It takes you two minutes and it's going to show you. I call them internal leadership skills. Where do you need to focus your energy and attention for the quickest results? And also, which phase are you living in? So head on over to heatherchauvin.com forward slash life quiz to take the aligned life quiz right now. If you're ready to stop just surviving and you want to start thriving, but you don't know how to manage it all, go there. It will take you two minutes and it will change your life. I also on the inside show you which podcast episodes to listen to based on your quiz results. HeatherChauvin.com forward slash life, L-I-F-E quiz. 